want to dive right in this morning to the message and uh, tell you that today we're going to pick up what I believe may be the single most frustrating verse in the entire Bible. I think that the passage of Scripture that we're going to focus on today has created more confusion and more frustration down through the years than anything else in the Bible. And it's not the fault of the Bible, just for the record. I want to be very clear about that. But I think as you look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it's a verse that is familiar to a lot of people. No matter where you are spiritually, you may have even heard it used as an old wives' tale or an old saying, but it's actually a principle from Scripture in Proverbs 22. The Bible says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I'm curious, on this Sunday morning, how many of you have ever looked at that verse and thought, why did it not work out that way for my kids? I'm just curious. If you, you may not want to raise your hand on this one, but you understand the frustration that a lot of people have felt down through the years. They said, we, we, we did the best that we could. We, you know, we, we did this and we didn't do that. And, and yet things still went very much awry. Or at least there was a season in the lives of our kids where it didn't quite work out the way that we had hoped that it would. Well, I want to share with you today what I think God has in store for every single one of us, which is a moment of liberation and freedom. I'm curious in the room, how many of you are parents? Let me just see a show of hands if you are a parent. How many of you right now are not parents? Maybe you're a student or you don't have any kids or you don't want any kids. You've seen enough of them at McDonald's, whatever the case might be. Well, for those of you who are not parents, and I'm speaking specifically to those of you who maybe are age 20 or 25 and younger, you have as much to say about this principle bearing out as your parents do. That, that ought to free up some parents in the room today to understand that this is a principle that works, but there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. And what I want us to get at today is the root of those extenuating circumstances. Now, when, when you see to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, that means that the parents play a critical, critical foundational role in the lives of every child. That's kind of self-evident. But there's also that part in there where it says, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, or she will not depart from it. So that means that there is that element of personal responsibility in the lives of our kids, of our students, that they play a significant role in whether or not this becomes a reality. Now let me see a show of hands. Again, just real quickly, how many of you are students or maybe you're still living at home? Let me just see a show of hands. Listen, every single one of you who has your hand up right now, I've got great news for you. Are you ready? If you screw up your life, it's your fault. I just want you to know that right off the top. If you are in high school, you are past the age where you can blame your parents for any choice that you make. So that's really, really an exciting thing. I remember when I shared this with my daughter about five years ago. I, I kind of took her aside and we were having breakfast together one morning and I said, Emily, hey, I hope you have a great day today, but... Also, I just wanted you to know, you know, you're, you're 15 now, and so the, I've got good news for you. And she was kind of excited. She thought I was going to put some cash in her account, you know. 
And, and I said, uh, I said, you know, if you mess up your life at this point, you already know right from wrong. So it's all on you at this point. And she looked over her scrambled eggs and bacon at me and she went, thanks, Dad. But I wanted her to own the responsibility that she has. I wanted her to feel that weight in her life so that she understood that a lot of work has gone into getting her to this point of being 15 or 16 years old at the time. And, and a lot of times for us, that work was just letting her live to see another day. How many of you parents know that feeling? You, you've been there before. I'm curious this morning. How many of you parents have ever... And I'm going to raise my hand before I even finish the question. How many of you parents have ever called security in a department store on your own child? Can I just see a show? Bunch of liars. Y'all, I know some of you have. But the joy of being a parent, the possibility of claiming the promise of the principle of Proverbs 22 lies in one single word. I'm going to encourage you, if you will, take out your program and take some notes today because this message, while it's talking about parents and children specifically, you're going to find as we go through this really applies universally, no matter your station in life. The key to claiming this promise, to living out this principle that God gives us in Proverbs chapter 22, 6 comes down to this word and it is the D word. That's right. Discipline. The word is discipline. And as parents, our job is to discipline our children. Now, biblically, discipline is not so much about to spank or not to spank or to course correct or to do this or not do that. But to discipline really and truly means that we get very, very deliberate about this. And that is training kids. Training kids. I'm curious, how many of you are hunters? You've ever hunted birds like ducks or quail over dogs. You, you've seen dogs work in the field. It is a beautiful thing to behold. If I ever get to quail hunt, I'm much more preferred. I, I really enjoy watching the dogs work as much as I do actually harvesting birds for my family's table as the hunter and gatherer in chief. But when you see dogs who know what they're doing, dogs who, who work joyfully and they'll run all day, you know that there's a lot of work that has gone into training them and getting them ready to work the field. I kind of think that every single person who's even contemplating having children should have to raise a dog first. I just think it'd be good warm-up or good practice to be able to see how these principles work. When you see dogs who know what they're doing, it's unbelievable to see how that positive reinforcement of a qualified, capable trainer pays off so much more than maybe the negative reinforcement. I'm going to give you some homework. For those of you who are parents or maybe could be parents at some point, there's a movie that you need to watch. And I'm going to encourage you to write this down and rent it, download it, do whatever you need to do to watch the movie. It's a documentary called Buck. The name of the movie is Buck. Every one of you ought to be writing that down right now. Buck is actually a horse whisperer who is unbelievable at dealing with animals. But the principles that you see played out in this movie are unbelievable. Every parent, every CEO, every coach, every teacher, every person who has any type of leadership in the world ought to see the movie Buck. And that's all I'm going to tell you about it. But you need to see the movie Buck. It's unbelievable. 
because of what it shows us about how we train. As parents, discipline comes down to training kids specifically for three things. Number one, training kids who God is. Who is it that God is and wants to be in their lives as a parent? That is the first and primary role that I'm to play in the lives of my kids. To train them and to show them this is who God is. The one who loved you enough to create you on purpose. The one who loved you enough to create you with a purpose. Train them who God is. Number two, to train them who they are. To teach our kids how to discover their identity. Their, their, their God-given personality and soul and makeup. Who is it that he's created them to be? And then number three, to train kids how life works best. To train kids how life works best. Number one, who God is. Number two, who they are. And number three, how life works best. Now, I said that Proverbs 22 is one of the most frustrating verses in the whole Bible. And I think it's because as parents, we want to just kind of cling to the second part of that verse with white knuckle faith, right? To, it, it, when he's old, he won't depart from it. But I think it's imperative that we focus our attention on the first part of that verse. To train up a child in the way he should go. It's very important that we make sure we understand. The verse does not say, teach a child to do exactly what I tell them to do every single time. And then when he is old. That's not what it says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And so I want to just kind of real quickly focus on two parts of that. Number one, the training part. And number two, the way he should go. That word training in the original Hebrew is really and truly about equipping. It's a military term that we're equipping our kids for life, for, for what it looks like to one day move out of our houses. And, and, and I've joked about that a lot, you know, as a pastor and as a dad, that the part of Julie's and my greatest joy and job in life is to get Emily and Joseph to a point where they can move out of our house and buy their own food. And, and there's a part of that that's true. Julie and I are going to travel a lot when the kids leave. But the primary goal is for them to be able to live the life God's created for them to live, to equip them for that. A few years ago, we had the opportunity to sit down over a Father's Day video interview with, at the time, Longhorn quarterback Colt McCoy and his dad, Brad McCoy. Now, Brad McCoy has been a lifelong high school football coach who is now coaching coaches. But Brad McCoy said something so fascinating in this interview that we showed on Father's Day a few years back. He said, Mac, you know, we always kind of reared our kids to, we felt like our job as parents was to prepare them for the path. He said, but one of the things that I see over and over again as a coach is too many parents are preparing the path for their kids. And I'm telling you, when he said that, I, it was like bells went off because it's so true. A lot of times as parents trying to do the right thing by our kids, we try to remove every little rock, every little rough patch. And if there's a curve in the road, we try to straighten that up so that they can just kind of cruise on through life. When in fact, what we're doing is a huge disservice to our kids when we prepare the path for them rather than them for the path. Because the fact of the matter is, Emily and Joseph, more than likely, are going to be here a lot longer than I am. 
And life is going to throw stuff at them that I cannot anticipate, that I cannot articulate. So I have to do everything I can with Julie to prepare them, to equip them for the path. Now, take that second part of that first part of Proverbs 22.6. Train them up in the way they should go. In the way they should go, I want you to think of that in terms of a trajectory, almost like an archery term when the arrow is launched. It's got a trajectory that it's headed toward a target. But our kids' job is to figure out their own trajectory, their own flight path. Our job is to train them and then to set them loose. It's not my job to figure out Joseph's job or Emily's job. My job is to prepare them so that they can then figure out what it is that God has made them for. What does he want to do in their lives? What does he want to do through their lives? To train up a child in the way he should go is about trajectory. Now, at the very beginning of this series, we launched with the promise from God, with with the, the premise that where there is no vision, the people or the family perishes. But the flip side of that was also true, if you'll remember. Where there is a vision, the family flourishes. And so in the time that we've got left, I want to just tell parents two things. Now, I'm going to get to you parents in just a second. Real quickly, let me see those of you who are students again. Just show me your hands. Okay, here's the deal. This sermon is more about you than it is your mom and dad. This sermon is about you putting yourself in a position to where your mom and dad don't have to do everything that they're doing right now. How many of y'all who are students know that the less you mess up, the less you hear from your parents? Can I, am I the only one that experienced that? I mean, I'm just telling you, the more you take care of your stuff, the less your parents have to intervene. And guess what? Your parent, and I know this, I'm 47 years old, I've got a daughter in college and a son in high school, so I understand this, but I'm talking to you students. Your parents are tired, okay? I'm just telling you right now, your parents are tired. They're, 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 they're worn out. And if you will help your parents, don't miss this, if you help your parents, you actually help yourself. If you help your parents, you help yourself. Because most of us make poor choices when we're tired. Most of us kind of, we overreact or we kind of withdraw or if we're tired. So the less you wear out your parents, the more you help yourself. So it's important that you understand this message is for you as much as or maybe more than it is for your parents. Now, those of us who are parents, you look around and you see the world that our kids are growing up in and And you see the things that they have access to and the influences around them as they walk through the halls day in and day out. And I just am curious, how many of us from time to time look at the lives in the world our kids are growing up in and you're a little bit or maybe a lot, doesn't matter, just there's a there's a little portion of fear for you as a parent. Let me just see a show of hands. Students, did you notice that? Almost every parent's hand went up. There, there's, there's a part of where, where we are. If we're not careful, we're a little bit afraid. Maybe sometimes parents are a lot afraid. But I believe with everything that I have that God has a word of freedom for the parents and the students today. And it starts with this. 
Number one, parents, discipline toward a vision and not from fear. Discipline your kids. Equip your kids toward a vision that God's given you for their lives, for the life of your family, rather than out of fear, out of what you're afraid might happen. Because one of the things that I've noticed in my own life is when I get afraid, I try to control. I, I try to control things, and I, and I get really dogmatic about stuff, and, and I, I kind of nail stuff down. Like, that's always, in my experience and observation, that's an expression of fear. Whereas when I parent, especially, toward a vision of what God wants for Emily, what God wants for Joseph, then all of a sudden, I become much more proactive. I anticipate. I start thinking about where they might be, questions they might have, and I'm a couple of steps ahead of them, maybe. I remember when Emily, especially, and later Joseph, were very, very little. I'm a fairly competitive guy. That's just kind of part of my makeup. It's part of my charm. But I remember... With Emily and Joseph, and they would, when they would kind of throw a, a, a target tantrum or, or freak out in public, there was a part of me that looked in at this little blessing and bundle of joy God had given us. And, and I would think to myself, I am not losing to something that small. <laughs> I, I remember, how many of you have ever thought that? Is, am I the only one? And so I would escalate, but then I noticed something. This little bundle of joy, who's so small could match me escalator for escalator, step for step. And at that point, nobody wins. And so I realized it wasn't about escalating, but it was about equipping her, equipping him. And so this target tantrum or whatever public spectacle we were creating as a family at that moment, it wasn't about me. It was about it was about getting her through this. It was about getting him ready so that the next time we go into public, if it ever happened again, this would not happen. I want to introduce you to two things this morning. The first is something that Julie and I have talked about for a while now, and that's called 2020 parenting. 2020 parenting. 2020 parenting means this, that you handle the next 20 minutes for what it will yield in 20 years. You handle the next 20 minutes for what it will yield in the next 20 years. So when you encounter behavior from this little blessing that God's given you, that, that you don't like, or you see something happen, you go, okay, this is a moment, but what does this behavior look like in 20 years? When this little bundle is 23, 24 years old, do we still want them to be having a tantrum in Target? How many of you know that adults can have Target tantrums as well? I mean, we've, I've seen it happen. And you just kind of go, man, that's a, that's a tough way to live. But 2020 parenting reminds you it's not about you. It's about the child. It's about what God wants to do in his life. It's about what God wants to do through you in their lives to prepare them for what is to come. 2020 parenting. I remember when Emily was about five years old, Julie's mom came to visit us from Mississippi. 
And Julie's mom came to visit. And on this particular visit, she was with us for a few days. So after about day one or two, the newness of, of grandmother being in the house kind of wore off on the kids. And kind of we reverted to our normal habitat behavior. And, and on this particular day, Emily, I mean, she pitched a holy terror fit on this day. And Julie and I were sitting there kind of watching her going, we've never seen this before, Kathy. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> it must be a recessive gene from your family. I don't know. <laughs> but I will never forget, Julie's mom looked at us dead serious. And Julie's mom's sweet. I mean, sweet. She looked at us, and as Emily was in the midst of this fit, she said, I will not come to visit you when she's 14. Now, I can tell you that story because throughout Emily's middle school and high school years, we had more fun than ought to be allowed by law. But the reason those years were fun was because of the work and the prayer and the help of God's church that we got as parents to see Emily through that. We stayed on the wall and worked hard. We prayed harder during that time to get that stuff out of her life. And one of the things that we kind of step back and, and realize from observing people smarter than us and farther along than us was a little thing called pirate parenting. Pirate parenting. I want everybody, this is going to be fun today, all right? I want everybody just with, with pa I don't care how cool you think you are, with passion, I want everybody to give me just one big arg, arg. Isn't that fun? That's just, that's just good to say. But as a parent... That needs to be our battle cry as a parent because the four things that our kids have to have as they leave our house are A-R-G-H. A, give me an A. A. Authority. Authority. We have to teach our kids a sense of authority in the house. They have to learn that mom and dad are in charge. I've shared with you before that my parents split up when I was 12 years old and I remember my mom when I was about 14 and my brothers were 12 sitting us down in our living room and we hadn't had any, any kind of an event or anything. It was just kind of a calm, normal day in the Richard household and mom sat the three of us down and my mom's not a big girl. She's about five foot three, maybe. And she sat us down and she said very calmly, she said, you need to understand something. For better or for worse, I'm in charge now. I didn't ask for this, but this is what has been dealt us. And if this is going to work, you have to listen to me. All three of you are bigger than I am. But I'm in charge. Are we clear? That, that gives you, you just met my mom right there. That's a great picture of who she is. Now, I would love to tell you that all three of us said... Mother, thank you for teaching us this biblical principle so early in life, and we will follow it to the letter until we die and honor you in everything that we do. And amen. One of my brothers really pushed the envelope a lot. I'm just kidding. That was me. But I will say this. That conversation was the beginning of me understanding at 14 years old the gift of authority. Because in that conversation, I discovered that mom was in charge and that I didn't want to be 
When you see kids who are angry, when you see kids who are floundering and out of control, most of the time it's because they don't know who's in charge. Most of the time it's because they are dealing with parents who will not step up and lovingly lead in a godly way. Authority is a gift from God, which means those of us who wield that authority, parents, have a massive responsibility. We represent God in our authority, how we enforce it, how we apply it, how we teach it and instruct it. Adrian Rogers was the longtime pastor of a phenomenal church in Memphis, Tennessee. And Adrian Rogers said something about authority that I think is so profound because it's so simply true. He said this, in order to get over what God has put under you, you have to get under what God has put over you. Meaning if you're going to be in authority, you have to submit to authority. If you're going to be a person who wields the authority of God well and appropriately and effectively, then you have to be somebody who is submitted to the authority of God. In order to get over what God has put under you, you have to first get under what God has put over you. Authority is a gift. Another word for authority is power. And so in order to receive the power of God, you have to be in and under the authority of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. A is authority. R. Give me an R. R, R is responsibility. We have to teach our kids a sense of responsibility. Included in responsibility is work ethic. I think we ought to have a parental covenant that we sign today. It says, those of us who are parents have done our last school project ever. We will gladly, gladly go to the store and buy the poster board. But I ain't gluing, cutting, writing, pasting, nothing. I'm not printing anything. I'm not typing anything. It's their job. I did ninth grade. Or college. It happens. I did seventh grade. It's not my job. I have a job. And my job is not to get you through middle school, cuz. I want you to learn responsibility. I want you to learn what you're capable of. I want you to learn what you're not capable of. I want you to learn how to rebound from a bad grade that you got on your own. Listen, most of us, our kids aren't going to Harvard anyway. They're not. They're just not. They're not going to go to Harvard. They're not going to be all Americans in football. So just let them do their deal, but make it their deal. I know your kids are gifted, but I'm just saying the other the rest of us. <laughs> Sense of responsibility. Make them work. You know the best day in our life as a parent was the day I bought a lawnmower. Listen, I was paying somebody to mow our grass. I don't cut the grass. I did that one. I'm done. But I bought a lawnmower so Emily and Joseph would learn the joy. 
of earning money. Joe's out there four years old. I'm just kidding, he wasn't. But I'm going to tell you this. My daughter can cut grass. And I'm going to tell you this. Her husband, whoever it may be one day when she starts dating at 40, her husband's going to thank me. Not because she's going to cut their grass, but because she knows how to work. So responsibility is huge. Arg. G. Give me a G. G. Gratitude. Kids have to be taught gratitude. It is not innate. They have to be taught to be grateful. When you go out to eat, is a great opportunity. Tell your kids to be paying attention when the waiter or wait person comes by and pours water to fill their glass or brings food to them. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, when they're little, it's a, it's a painful process. Emily and Joseph, man, they're like, thank you very much. We'd be like, listen, I know that you said thank you, but they didn't hear you. And you don't say thank you for you or for me. You say thank you for them. They're the ones who are bringing us food and cleaning it up so we don't have to and mommy stays happy when we get home. So <laughs> tell the waiter, thank you. Be grateful. You know what gratitude does? Gratitude hacks out a sense of entitlement. Gratitude will eradicate a sense of entitlement in our kids. So teach them gratitude. And then H. And let me just tell you before we do this, this is the most important one. H. Give me an H. H. Honesty. Our children have to be held to the standard of relentless honesty. They have to be. And just so we're clear, they will be just as honest as they see us being honest. You write them a note, oh, he was sick yesterday for school. No, he wasn't. You stayed home and watched TV. Well, we, we had a bad day. You have to be honest if you expect your kids to be honest because honesty is much more caught than taught. I love it when parents will say, you wouldn't believe the story that little Billy came up with. I asked him why he didn't clean his room and he told me that he didn't clean his room because he was building a kingdom. Isn't that creative? No, it's not creative. Little Billy is a liar. <laughs> Little Billy is a born sinner. And so the answer is, Billy, you're building a kingdom of lies. Go clean it up. But honesty, there is no place for dishonesty in a loving relationship. Those of you who are students, again, I'm going to tell you this, you will help yourself by telling the truth. A lot of our students, a lot of times you're tired in high school. I know. I know. You do get tired. You got a lot going on. You're busy really kind of for the first time in your life. But a lot of, some of you, the reason you're tired is because you lie so much. That's not funny. You lie 
without even thinking about it. Dog ate my homework. Oh, I was out with friends. I went over to so yeah, her parents are going to be there. You lie, and it wears you out. Those of us who are older than you can tell you lying doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, it, it messes up your life to lie, to be dishonest, to kind of shade the truth a little bit. And you know what I'm talking about, where you can kind of, I didn't technically lie, but, you know, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Tell the truth. Don't do stuff you have to lie about. Honesty. Again, man, I, I can't tell you how many times I have thought about this as a dad and a husband. There have been times where I've had Emily and Joseph. One time Joseph and I were riding a four-wheeler, and, and, and Julie was kind of like, he was very, very young at the time. He was riding on the front, and she was like, I don't know. If, I said, hey, it's the guys, all right? I got this. But he doesn't have a helmet. I'm not going to hurt him. He's fine. And so we went tearing off across this field, and sure enough, Daddy Mac, I, hit, I found a, the one hole in this one big field, and we hit this hole, and Joseph's forehead went right down on the handlebar and popped back up. And, and my first thought was, don't tell your mother. <laughs> Dads, how many of you have ever thought that? Don't tell your mom. Well, I thought it, but there was already a bruise and a goose egg rising on his forehead. And so I gave him my hat, and we walked back inside. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. So I had to walk back in. I go, Julie, I messed up. I mean, he's fine. He's got a hard head. It's genetic. He'll be, he'll be cool. Julie just sat there. But don't tell your mother. Don't tell your daddy. That's dishonest. That's not being truthful. We've got to have honest families so that we can have honest communities, so we can have an honest church, so that we can have honest political candidates, so that we can have an honest world. Honesty matters. It's not a small thing. And home is where we start that. Pirate parenting. Second thing I want to tell the parents, discipline for your kids not for yourself. Discipline for your kids, not for yourself. And that's tough to do because a lot of times we who love our children so deeply, we're so closely connected, we're so umbilically connected, spiritually and emotionally, that it's tough to separate. But we have to for our kids' sake. A lot of times we will discipline our kids and we, we do this a lot of times without even realizing that we're doing it in reaction to the parenting we got well my dad was so harsh or my mom she didn't she didn't hug me enough and so and so we we do that and and those things are real and they're back there but guess what this ain't about you this ain't about your childhood this is about your kids this is about the vision God has for their lives. So if you need to see a counselor about that stuff, see a counselor about that stuff. But that does not inform your parenting. The vision God has for your life, that's what informs your parenting. That's what you are parenting toward. You discipline 
for your kids' sake, not for yourself. And when you start to do that, you start to develop a healthy detachment. A healthy detachment where you start to see the target tantrum or the rudeness or or whatever the case might be as an issue for them in their lives, not only in this moment, but 20 years from now. And so you address it. You're a lot calmer about it. When it's not about me, I can kind of step back and go, man, (laughs) Joseph's acting a fool right now. Emily, she's not handling things well. I'm going to help her get there. But I'm going to do it for her. I'm going to do it for him. And this is how God operates. This is who God really and truly is. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible is describing who God is by using earthly parents as a word picture. Hebrews 12 says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. And and let's be honest. Most of us, most of us, our parents did the best they could with what they had to work with. Most of us. They did the best they could, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. You might want to help me preach that. That's the truth, isn't it? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Isn't that what we really want for our kids anyway? Is a a harvest of righteousness and peace? We want our kids to have, quote, what? Good lives? The way that they get there is through our discipline. That's how we equip them. That's how we prepare them. Because that's exactly what God does for us. God, who is the perfect, loving Father, disciplines us. Sometimes by letting the natural consequences of our choices play out. And so we get to deal with it. We get to learn from it. Because He is our perfect Father. And He shows us how life works best. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And today we're going to end a little differently by having a prayer for everybody in this room. And it's a prayer that we will go forward with God in discipline. And before we pray together, I want to just make sure that you understand that the discipline of God is always an act of love. It is always that which glorifies Him and fulfills us every single time. 
The Bible tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. They're not there to weigh us down. Our Father and our God, in this moment, we come to you and we ask in Jesus' name that you would empower us. Specifically, God, that you would empower us through your authority. God, help us to submit ourselves to it. God, empower us and equip us to be responsible with our lives, our relationships. And God, help us to be grateful. To never ever even feel or think that we may be entitled to anything. And then God, we ask for the grace to be honest, to be people of truth. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us in these ways today. Tomorrow is Some of us go to class. Some of us, God, go into the marketplace. Some of us hold down the fort at home or we teach or wherever we go. God, give us your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.